how's the how's the podcast going? Like, how do you how do you get members or subscribers? How does that work for you? Oh, we don't have any. Nobody's gonna hear this. <laughs> okay, great. Just like Sunday mornings, then this is perfect. Hello and welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us yet again. Uh, you're a dedicated group of listeners. We appreciate every single one of you. And we're also praying for you because it is a mistake to listen to this podcast. Coming to us today, our guest. Um, second time he's been on the show. First time he came on, he was getting ready to release a book. And the book just came out a couple weeks ago. So I promised to have him back on so we could talk about it. John Quit, how you doing, buddy? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me on. Long time listener. (laughs) Long time Wayne Watson fan too, right? Oh, absolutely. And Sandy Patty. Another time, another place, baby. Absolutely. John is the pastor of Tuscaloosa Vineyard. Uh, You can find him on his personal, but you get a personal website now. Like all of a sudden you're big time. Like well, just... uh, for the four people that are going to read the book, um, I had to get a website. So, yeah, johnquit.com. Feel free to go there. That's uh, J-O-N-Q-I-T-T. Yep. John Quit. And John is the author of We're All Heroes in Our Own Story. <clears throat> Came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, I have read this book. Um, I will tell you now why you should buy this book. John, why should you buy this book? <laughs> just kidding. That was a really long, awkward pause. Here's why you should buy the book. I'm just kidding. Um, I, you know, I, yeah, I didn't send you the eight reasons that I made up. Uh, you know, I'm not sure why you should buy the book. I, does anybody really want to read a book on humility? No, I'm uh, just kidding. I'll tell you, this is why you should read the book, because John is funny, and he wrote a book about humility, and probably the best thing about the book is it really balances... Uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it also kind of is a, uh, it's like a, John's a straight shooter and he'll just kind of tell you very directly, you know, it's not about you. It's about Jesus and what Jesus has done. And we need to, as he says in the book, get low, get low, John quit. What does get low mean to you? Uh, you know, get low just means get out of the way, you know, quit promoting yourself in every possible scenario with every, <laughs> with every, with every tweet or Instagram photo or every baby, you know, shot or selfie or whatever. Um, you know, we, we've just made ourselves kind of the, the hero. We made ourselves the center of, of the story and, you know, we're, we're terrible heroes. So I don't know why we'd want to be the hero. Um, so yeah, this is the point. Just get out of the way. Quit talking about yourself. Nobody wants to hear. Nobody wants to hear what you know how great your life is or how terrible your life is. And so, um, yeah, that's 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 basically the book in forty-five words. And ignore the fact that we're actually promoting the book now. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but I'd love for you to buy the book. I, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna love it. Uh, so if you'll send me ten dollars, that'd be great. <laughs> it's actually out of stock right now. The uh, the paperback. Version oh, on Amazon. I, I don't know if that's good news or bad news. I think that's good uh, news. I think that's good news. That, you can, that's good news. Okay, good. Well, I hope the, they... Uh, Kindle yeah, I hope. Okay, yeah, that's good. 
Well, I, I guess I don't know how we get more books in stock. I hope that hope that happens. <laughs> well, listen, you just have to stop being so popular. That's that's the problem. Well, I am the hero. Well, uh, I well let me back up. I um, yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about uh, like what was the the impetus of writing this book? Like you know, everybody has a reason why they write a book. Like what? Why did you write this? You know, I didn't have an intention of writing a book. I, um, I, I blog pretty pretty regularly, and um, some of it's just cathartic for me, just to um, having to pastor people. And um, and so, what what we found early on in ministry when we we planted our church about ten years ago, we found that people were um, when they were the most broken, we found them they. Uh, they wanted to get out of, of their brokenness, but they were trying to do it by their own strength, their own, you know, self-help kind of nature. Um, and so we would have these conversations with people and, and we, we'd find that they would either blame somebody else for their own jacked up life or um, they would uh, they would talk about how, you know, they're so amazing and they're going to get themselves out of it. And so we, we kind of came up with this language 10 years ago of, okay, we just had another hero conversation. This person really thinks they're the hero. And so um, out of that was kind of born this, this, uh, these thoughts. And so I started journaling about it. And, um, and then a couple years ago, I, I uh, put it into a, a little bit of a book format. And, you, and, of course, you know, Matt, you were one of the, the guys that I sent the format to and, uh, and you know, and then, then came a book. Well, flip this around. How did you learn in your own life to not be the hero? Uh, well, I, I thought I was the hero. So, I, you know, <laughs> I, I think that, um, I mean, part, partly I'm in a vocation where um, it really is easy to become the hero, you know, to at least think yourself the hero, because I don't know, I don't know any pastor that doesn't struggle with kind of a savior complex, you know, where Why do you think that is because we're idiots and we're self-absorbed and, you know, we're educated and, uh, but you know, most pastors, frankly, are just, we're totally irrelevant to people. Um, and so most of, most of our job, this is why if you go to a church, most, most church, not most churches, but a lot of churches, instead of, um, Eugene Peterson says, instead of being subversive in your vocation, we just go ahead and just get behind everybody else's arrogance and and we tell them why they're so awesome and we tell them you know here's seven ways you can make your life better here's 12 ways you can make your marriage amazing and instead of being subversive to you know help people get out of the way we're actually reinforcing this idea that they're the center of their life and they're not the center they're you know at best we're supporting characters um do you think that has to do with just how the church is set up with tithing and how it's a vocation and you know people you know you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you I mean, I think that's part of it. I, and I think the other part, I think people, we're scared of uh, of disapproval. Um, I think at the, the heart of, of so many pastors, certainly me included, is, you know, we want people to like us and we want people mm-hmm. to to stroke us and to tell us that we're amazing communicators. And um, and so, yeah, and I, I'm sure some of it happens to do with, with uh, our pay and making sure that we're provided for. But, I, you know, I think that's a, a pile of crap. I mean, ultimately, if we're if we're pandering to the people that are paying us, then you know we're never really going to preach the gospel. So, how do you break out of that? 
I mean, you buy my book first. I mean, that's the that's the first first thing you have to do is you need to you, and then you send me a prayer cloth. And with twenty nine ninety five, um, you know, I, I I mean, I think at the end of the day, you you gotta you gotta settle. If you're a pastor, you gotta settle in your own heart what what success is, and if, and so if success is, um, you know, is based on a a, a metric where the gospel is kind of the goal then I think you'll be okay. But if the metric is I got to have this many people and I got to have this, you know, this large of a budget and I've got to have, you know, these things kind of fall into place, then, you know, the pressure is always going to be on us to make it happen. And, and I think that's a really dangerous place for a pastor to be, to, to, to feel like they have to make it happen. Cause then, you know, then you end up being the hero. Mm -hmm. Have have there been times that, that you've felt like the hero as a pastor? Yeah, I mean, when things are going incredibly well, um, you know, you start believing your own press. You start, you start thinking, man, I, I really know what I'm doing, and, um, and you know, people are coming to me, and I'm doing all this counseling, and, um, uh, you know, but it's just crap because at the end of the day, and this is how you know if you're the hero is when things fall apart, and you fall apart. That's how you know that you you made yourself the hero because if things fall apart. And you're not the hero, you know, you, you're going to be okay. But if, if your life falls apart emotionally when the circumstances of your church or, you know, a leader falls or, you know, people don't show up, um, you know, that's how you know you're centered um, on the gospel, on Jesus. So it's almost like a codependency. Oh, absolutely. It's awful. It's an awful codependency. And churches set it up that way, frankly. I mean, if you, if you just go on churchstaffing.com, and you, you look at all the postings for churches that are hiring their pastor, it's, they're codependent uh, job listings, and it's, it's awful. So we're, you know, we're, creating, we're creating the problem, and we're sustaining it with, with every new church plant. Mm. Yeah, what do you think, and let's, let's pivot just a little bit, what do you think about, there's, a, there's a, a thought going around that I've seen posted a few places that we have enough church plants um, I just add a trick here. I said, what do you think about that, that we have enough church plants? Or do you think we need more? Um, I think we need more, but I think the, I think maybe the, the short answer is we need more. The long answer is I think we need more of the right kind. Um, the Ed Stetzer, who is a, he's a, he was a, a uh, one of the lead guys for the Baptist, uh, for the Southern Baptist convention. He's not working at Moody, but he, um, he, based on the data, he says that there's going to be this, uh, this point in about 2025 where the, the church in America, where mainline church dies officially and uh, the true kind of evangelical church comes back to life. Um, and what he says is, is that essentially um, churches that are, 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 are not really pandering to culture but are you know, serious about living out a gospel uh, centered, neighbor-loving, generous kind of culture, um, then those are the churches that are going to thrive. But I think the churches that kind of are still living in kind of, you know, Willow Creek, um, you know, high marketing, uh, marketplace Christianity, that eventually those are going to fade. Mm. All right. Um, again, slight pivot here. Um, talking about, as we're kind of in the scope of churches and where church is going in America. Uh, one of the things we've been talking about recently is Billy Graham. Uh, Billy Graham had a birthday uh, 
I think last week or the week before. We didn't have a chance to really talk about it on the podcast. What do you think Billy Graham's legacy is going to be? I think Billy Graham's legacy primarily <laughs> is going to be as the greatest evangelist in history. Um, and I think he he's really the, the first guy that used media in a way that nobody nobody thought it could be used for for the church or for the gospel. Um, and then I think the, the other thing, and I don't know if I, his, his, his autobiography was actually one of the first autobiographies I'd ever read, period, but certainly Christian autobiography. But one of the things he did, I think, better than, uh, than anybody else in his time is he was able to build bridges to culture that nobody else had done before. He was able to, to build friendships with people that were far away from God, build cultures with governmental leaders, um, just simply because he had the influence, I think, and I think that is the the thing the church is still having to learn is that we can we can build bridges with people that are far away from God um, and still be true to the gospel. I've I've heard critiques, and they've always been soft critiques because I think everybody's he does have a, a certain reverence uh, that surrounds him. But um, I've heard critiques of, of Billy Graham that you know, like his theology never got deep enough, or that his retention. Um, was very poor as far as people who would leave his crusades and then never go to church again. Um, do you see a time that he's going to get critiqued pretty heavily for those things after he passes away? No, I, I think just like anybody else, I think his his reputation is just going to get better. And I mean, just like you think about Martin Luther King, you know how long he's been he's been dead for fifty years plus, and his reputation just continues to increase <laughs> in spite of the fact that he was a you know, he was a womanizer and half of his dissertation was plagiarized. Like his reputation just continues to, to increase and, and rightly so. He's incredible for, for the civil rights movement. I think Billy Graham's reputation is the same way. I think in spite of the fact that his theology was, wasn't was very deep, I don't think it needed to be. I don't, I don't think that was his mission. Um, but I think he's going to, I think once he passes away, I think dozens and dozens of books are going to be writ- written about him. Um, and and I think he's going to be memorialized that way. Yeah, I, I think probably the most remarkable thing to me about Billy Graham is just um, he held himself to a very high standard. You know, you hear like the, these you know these apocryphal stories about he wouldn't ride an elevator with a woman because he was mm-hmm. you know too afraid of you know I, I don't know what could happen in an elevator, but um. <laughs> a lot of things. <laughs> believe me, okay. Let's leave your dating years out of this. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, but, I think my favorite story out of his book is he was uh, he was at this crusade and they would they would uh, tell the hotels they didn't want a distraction they didn't want to, you know watch anything that was going to uh, you know compromise them and and he said that and this is in his autobiography that he got to his room and the TV was there and it was the kind of TV where the 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 cord was inside the wall so it just didn't plug in and so he, he when he got up to the room he realized man, I could watch some things that would compromise my heart. And so he, he pulled the cord all the way through the wall and tore up the, the drywall. And, uh, and he said, but it was worth it was worth $1,000 worth of damage to the room to, to compromise what was happening that week. And I, I love that. I love that idea of, of the high cost of, of a calling. Yeah, I, to finish my thought, what I find remarkable is he would hold himself to that standard. But then mm-hmm. when it came time to get behind the microphone – he would never put that on the audience. Oh, uh, yeah. Just, let's just talk about Jesus and what Jesus has done. That's good. Because a lot of times you see the reverse in that of people who 
may not hold themselves to a high standard, but then try to put all these rules on everybody else. Um, and, and I, I think he had it right as far as, Oh, absolutely. You know, he was, absolutely. he was doing the small things in his own life, but when it came time to share the gospel, it was just, let's just keep it, keep it simple and focus on the big things. Absolutely. Um, speaking of big things, John Quit, we always have to tackle an issue on Fun Sexy Bible Time that the other theological podcasts simply shy away from because of cowardice. <laughs> and John Quit, it has been far too long. This No one has addressed the issue of who had the biggest poops in the Bible. Well, I mean, there's a whole class in, in seminary on this. I, you know, I don't know if you realize this. This is a this is a huge theological topic. I mean, are we um, fighting for second place? I mean, is Goliath the biggest pooper in the Bible? Is it is it really just a race for second place? I don't know. I I, I tend to think that a guy like Goliath. I think the reason he was so angry is uh, is because he probably had some sort of dysentery. So I don't. I you know I think it's a. I think it's easy to think because he was the biggest that he had the biggest, but I just, you know, I think you're discounting some of the smaller guys. Um, you know, guys like Mephibosheth, you know, okay. have you, have you thought about him? He, he, Not, all, he, all he did was eat all day. I mean, all he could do was sit around and eat and, uh, and the choicest of foods. Thank you very much. And so I think he probably had the, at least he was competing with Goliath. Can we go back to judges and throw out King Eglon? Was he the really fat guy? Yes. Wasn't he? And yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's a that's a good argument. That's a good argument. Um, I think you probably win with that one. What about yeah. Saul? The Bible tells us Saul is a very large man, and we know he almost pooped on David in the cave. <laughs> that's that's true. I don't know. I feel like you're you're really taking the scriptures and twisting them there. But um, <laughs> I. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I think here's the deal. I mean, if Jesus is preeminent in all things, I mean, is it fair to say Jesus probably had maybe the biggest poop? Is that, is that okay to say that? <laughs> John, you're bringing hot takes. You're bringing <laughs> I mean, hot takes on Fun Sexy Bible Time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with Jesus, though. I think that's always the right answer in Sunday school, and I'm going to stick with it today. Speaking of Goliath, do we know if, if Goliath, Bang Delilah. I mean, what are the chances of that happening? Do the timelines match I, I, up I don't, to that? No, I don't think so. I okay. don't think so. I think Goliath was really, he was hyper-focused on, on battle. I mean, because they were both from the same region, <laughs> and she was a prostitute. And if she was as good as Samson seemed to think she was, I mean, we can say that, you know, I mean, Goliath would have been interested. That I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair assessment. But there was a lot of temple prostitutes around there. I mean, yeah, I I think Delilah was probably doing some freaky stuff to get. I mean, because Samson could have had anybody, and he was oh, absolutely he was enamored with Delilah, so she was probably doing things that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. This is the title of my of next week's series. Start, you know, did Delilah? How loose was Delilah? <laughs> That's going to be one of the first questions I ask once I get to heaven. Is well, it did, should be. Did Delilah bang Samson and Goliath? And Gosh. who did she think was better? <laughs> uh, uh. Oh, John Quinn, thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, we didn't talk about um, we didn't talk about um, 
we're, we're going to go through the, uh, the, cause you were a youth pastor at the tail end of the nineties. We're going to bring that up. Do you miss the lock-ins? Oh, well, God, no, those are from the <laughs> devil. Those literally, those were invented by the devil. I, I, uh, I have pretty good evidence to prove that. No, they're awful, man. You give kids sugar for eight hours straight, then you go bowling and then you come back and you watch movies and then you have to do the forced devotional. Oh, no. Man. Why didn't you do the devotional at first? Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. No, no, you do the devotional at three 30 in the morning. Is and, there, uh, is there anything a youth pastor from the nineties hated worse than lock-ins or, uh, I mean, maybe like, um, staff meetings. Maybe. <laughs> what about like uh, summer camp? Did you ever have to go to like youth youth summer camp for a week? Oh, those are amazing. Those are amazing because you didn't have to do anything because you go to places like <laughs> Student Life where they do the whole thing for you. <laughs> I miss youth camp. Absolutely. I wish they had youth camp for pastors. That'd be amazing. I True story. I was not allowed to go to youth camp because my parents were so worried that it would affect my purposeful singlehood. <laughs> Well, you'd already kissed dating goodbye, so, uh, you know, I don't know why they were worried. Well, because, you know, there were girls at youth camp, and there were girls that went to public school at youth camp, uh, and they were worried that I would be corrupted by their feminine wiles. But they were already all pregnant by then, right? <laughs> so I don't think you had to worry. Uh, you know, not to mention not even being Christian, so. Oh, absolutely. Well, they went to public school. I thought you already said that, so. <laughs> Uh, hey, but hey, audio adrenaline was real. Oh, absolutely. DC Talk, man, changed my life. Um, John Quitt, he is the author of We're All Heroes in Our Own Story. You can find the Kindle version of that on Amazon. It is $2.99. Highly recommend it. You can find his website, johnquitt.com. He preaches at Tuscaloosa Vineyard. John Quitt, thank you for coming back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I loved it.